Oscar Poker. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that the boat is leaking. Everybody knows the captain lied. Everybody got this broken feeling, like their father or their dog just died. Everybody so we're saying good morning. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right. So we uh, um, we we already did this, but uh, basically Sasha's hungover because she went to the bed at the ungodly hour of one a.m. and I am um, um, not hungover, even though I went to the Weinstein party and came back uh, and filed and went to bed around one. Mm-hmm. And um, and we were just about to talk. Let's <clears throat> start again to our reactions to the only real big surprise of the evening. Uh, apart from the uh, appealing surprise of Hugo winning, was it four, Sasha? Uh, uh, Hugo won five. Five, okay. So it matched the artist. Right. Uh, but in a somewhat lesser, obviously the lesser categories. But still, five for Hugo, five for the artist. Uh, you know, not so bad uh, if you're a anything but the artist type. Um, but, um, and so, you know, uh, Hugo gets to, to enhance itself. Uh, uh, on the uh, on the DVDs and Blu-rays and and where, wherever, so it's not so bad. Mm-hmm. When you were saying you were asking Phil what the the talk oh, yeah. about his feelings about the big surprise yeah. of the night, which was so, Meryl Streep so, winning. So what'd you think, Phil? You were yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it was as big a surprise as people are making it out to be. I mean, Meryl Streep was neck and neck with her, you know, for the most part the entire time, and you know, I wasn't that surprised by it. And Mostly I'm just disappointed because, you know, who knows when Viola Davis will have another shot at this, when she'll be that much of a front runner again. Um, so it's disappointing to see that, but not too much of a surprise. Now, we're assuming, of course, that even though she's she's more Viola Davis now than she was before, uh, that she's still going to have a rough time finding any really good, juicy, substantial parts. Like, do you notice that the ones that she has committed to, she's always playing uh, technicians, officials, or, you know, people basically <clears throat> defined by their work, by their station, uh, you know, most of the most of the uh, gigs she gets, she plays, uh, you know, uh, uh, shrewd professionals. Or uh, correction, or, most of the or, gigs she accepts to play, she gets offered plenty of crack addicts. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, and the most interesting dysfunctional characters that she has played, uh, the, the obviously the help was of anything but a dysfunctional. But she was like a, a tower of, uh, of strength, if you will. But the two most interesting dysfunctional characters she played were the one of in. Um, 
in, in doubt, which I thought was fantastic, mm-hmm. and also the um, 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 Antoine Fisher uh, uh, role, in which she didn't say a word; she just sat there, you know, staring at the floor. She's 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 how is she not going to get more a, a better choice of, of material from here on in? People know she's the person to go to to deliver. Or am I being naive? I, I don't know. You're I just being think- naive. Capturing okay. this kind of momentum again is difficult. I Almost mean, I mean, impossible. You know, yeah, I mean, for you know, she'll get great roles again because she's a great actress and, and she'll be around for years to come. But you you can't capture that kind of momentum. Like it, it comes sometimes from some people just once in a career. Mm-hmm. So you can't bank on the fact that it's going to come again. You know. No, you can't. And nobody, and nobody believes in my uh, playing the maid to Brad, Brad Pitt and having the affair. Nobody bought I <laughs> fun of that idea. No, I think no, what I, I think already. has got to happen is – see, you guys probably know this already, but um, that Meryl Streep part in Iron Lady was like designed to win, to win her an Oscar. It, it, it went by the numbers exactly what the Academy responds to, um, playing a real character. Uh, they They – made margaret thatcher one of the you know one of the most controversial figures in history totally palatable and castrated basically i mean she's playing a woman who's mourning her you know her weird like imaginary friend husband who's like buzzing Uh around in the background so terrible movie great Uh performance by streep you know but it was designed to win her an oscar and she had harvey weinstein behind her pushing her every step of the way she even went to the like AARP awards dinner. That's how hard she's campaigned for this. I mean, if you want to win an Oscar, you have to campaign hard. I'm not uh-huh. saying Meryl Streep didn't deserve to win. I don't think that. Uh, I think if you want an Oscar that bad, and you're Meryl Streep, and you've worked that many decades and turned in that much good work, and if you turn around and say, "I want to win this," uh-huh. give it to her. You know, fine. Uh-huh. However, it's a totally separate issue from Viola Davis winning because that really would change. Her life, and it would. It's, this isn't going to do much for Meryl Streep, except add another notch to her belt, and give her fans a chance to celebrate her, and then and Hollywood a chance to say thank you to her when she's about to enter the Lifetime Achievement right. Award phase of her career. Uh-huh. She finally gets to be acknowledged with the second lead actress Oscar, joining people like Hilary Swank and Jodie Foster, uh-huh. who uh-huh. have won two lead actress Oscars, and. Um, Meryl Streep's only won one, so all the great performances she's given, there's always someone else who wins, like uh-huh. Sandra Bullock, who won for The Blind Side, who won for The Blind Side for a lot of the same reasons that Viola Davis should have won for this, but didn't and wouldn't. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. So it's it was just I, – I agree with Phil. I don't think it was surprising. I sort of dreaded it. I kind of figured it was coming. And um, I was. Why, why didn't I hear that from you? You were. You were. A, Viola is the person who I think ought to win, who possibly, probably should win, yeah. and probably will win. No. Come on, we were all saying that. I was hoping because she won the SAG, and I felt like her momentum. I felt like her momentum kind of caught fire a little bit too late, like after a lot of the ballots had been turned in, like um, right after the BAFTA, Meryl Streep was riding high, mm-hmm. and then things started to shift. And but I think that by that time, a lot of the people had already voted. And um, also, you know, you got to figure that Weinstein has won a lot of people a lot of Oscars. And if he asks and he calls in favors, he's going to get votes, you know. Uh-huh. I'm not saying that's why Meryl Streep won. I think that people looked at her performance for the same reason you did, Jeff, and said Viola Davis's part was too small. Meryl Streep's part was bigger and more juicy, you know. And um, 
yeah, yeah, the chances of Viola Davis ever getting a part like that are zero. Okay, so we're starting with an unfair fight to begin with. But you know, nobody's ever going to say, "Let's tailor make an Oscar movie for Viola Davis." Well, I mean, hopefully now someone might, someone <laughs> might take on that challenge. But even given all that. You don't know if it's if they're going to be right. Like Weinstein knows the tune that Oscar voters like. He, he knows how to to um, make it as emotionally palatable as possible. Uh-huh. You know, to really give a great performance, you you cut hard edges. You know, and and that's not what Oscar voters like. And they like them you know, pretty and nice, and you know. Um, so I hope people give Viola Davis more work. I hope she continues to do great work. I hope she starts to write and direct and, you know, expand herself as an artist. And I hope that, you know, eventually someday, I mean, I hope she gets to a point where winning an Oscar is like nothing, you know, that it doesn't uh-huh. even matter. But. Hey, can you tell me the thing about the uh, really short hair? Um, I, I didn't I somehow missed that he she has been wearing wigs all this time, and her natural hair is very short. Mm-hmm. That's the way she always well, one thing, all the time. Well, one thing she's done this year, which I think is lovely, and if you listen to her um, Fresh Air interview, you'll hear her talk about this, is that there is this notion that um, you can't really win an Oscar, and you can't really... Uh, you know, please whitey if you don't like white it, white yourself up, which is white Halle, yourself up by wearing Halle Berry hair. wearing straight hair, straightening your hair, unblackifying yourself, having light skin, looking like um, this is she, what Viola Davis has, said she said to have a light skin. What are you What are you talking about? I'm talking about what you have to do to win an Oscar. I know, is but you're talking white. about her having to white herself. I'm saying what she's doing. Yes. Is what she did this year, was she was saying, she said in this Fresh Air interview, yes. this is a woman who's actually black, black, who's yeah. maybe going to win an Oscar, mm-hmm. who's got naturally kinky black hair that she's showing. She, her thing was, I'm going to be myself. I'm going to show who I really am as a black woman, thinking that if she got a chance to accept an Oscar, she would be accepting it, you know, as herself, not as I'm, you know, I'm doing all this stuff, straightening my hair, to look like, to blend in, to pass in the white world, you know. Is this the 1970s? Is Angela Davis raising her fists? What are we talking about here? I mean, every, oh, if only, woman, Jeff. Yeah, if yeah, only yeah. that those days are gone. Those days are gone. You know what it is now? It's let's win an Oscar at all costs. Let's What's turn ourselves. So in straightening your hair, everybody does it. Who cares? It's not a big African American pride issue. Oh, it absolutely is, dude. Are you kidding me? That's the fro, man. Why do you think you saw Chris Rock wearing a fro and that that other singer? What was her name, Phil? You probably know. I don't uh, know. No, I don't. I don't even know who that was. It was up there. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's like let the fro, you know, be proud of the fro. Be proud of the fro. So we are in the seventies again. If only, we're not. Sadly. Then uh, uh, let's let's try again for the third time. Are we in, are we doing a seventies back to the seventies? Let's let it our, our natural selves fly and be proud and be that person. Or are yeah, we doing whatever so. we feel like doing because it's stylistically what, what, appealing to us, which is what every Viola Davis of color wanted, is doing in the world these days. But Viola Davis took the opportunity with the Oscar heat on her to talk about stuff that affects the black community and especially black actors. And uh-huh. so she she is, you know, kind of saying enough, you know, that was great in the 70s when when the, they were, you know, when, when black people felt comfortable, you know, with their natural hair and that they didn't have to always straighten it. I don't know. Do you know any? Have you ever spent time with any um, black people who've had to straighten their hair and, and how they feel about it? Because I have. 
I have not spent any time with anybody, people who have had to straighten their hair. Mm -hmm. I've spent time with people that are apparently have straightened their hair and they're not going around with forlorn expressions, uh, you know, moan, bemoaning the, the humiliation of, of, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. I know I, that's your attitude and that's probably the attitude of a lot of your readers. I could just hear them say, commenting on something like this, but it's kind of naive of you to think that, um, that it's just about that. I mean, it is an issue of pride. Um, it is an issue of this is black in America is having an Afro. And we're and we're subjugating ourselves by by doing anything other not than subjugating, just, but passing and not not being authentic, you know, and not um, and not being proud of of what you know what their natural hair state is, and always having to straighten it, you know. I mean, that's, that's me, shameful that's Whitney Houston. You know, what a slave she was to fashion. She had no integrity as a human being. She had to wear that that. Why does it have to be so absolute? I think that what Viola Davis did was very cool and very brave. Um, If she wants to straighten her hair, if she really wanted to win the Oscar, she would have whitified herself more. You know, she would have made herself as as palatable to them as possible. You're saying she did. She went around doing her uh, Oscar campaigning in her very short kind of Malcolm X cut. I think that toward the end there, when it looked like she was going to win, she started to feel a little more like doing a little bit of um, activism in her campaign, uh-huh. which I think is awesome. Uh-huh. I think that, you know, the suck-ups who just want to win Oscars are sad and pathetic most of the time. The suck-ups who don't let their... Who do anything, get- who kiss all those fucking assholes, you know, just to win an Oscar. And I think the ones that don't are cool. So they're going to sacrifice winning an Oscar. You know what? Winning an Oscar isn't everything, believe me. So... uh yeah, I think it's. So you're saying that any person who does anything to alter their natural not alter, no, not is a suck up and a kiss ass. Jeff, and a, there's a whole different and, thing and between over. black identity in America, and I'm not the one to talk about it because I'm not black. But I can tell you just from the outside that I know that this is a thing. It's not just I'm going to get my nose straightened to look prettier. I'm going to get plastic surgery to look, you know, younger. I'm right. going to dye my hair blonde so that people can worship me like the blonde goddess that they all worship. You know, I mean, Jesus right. Christ, look at all the the women who've had to go blonde. Meryl Streep's one of them, just to be get attention. You know, uh-huh. um, that's all the way on the other side of the spectrum is the blonde goddess. But it's, well, but it's, it's more painful and and sort of profound and sad in a, in a more genuine way when people of color do it because they're having to suppress their natural selves. There's something ugly about kinky black hair, supposedly. And um, I know because my daughter's best friend is black and she's always had this dilemma of straightening or wearing her natural hair and they talk about it a lot. I don't think there's anything ugly about kinky hair. I don't do either. I? I think it's if fucking they, awesome. I'd love uh, to have I, I don't find it awesome either. I just think it's whatever you like and, you know, whatever feels good and, you know, all that. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, if I were to choose, a, you know, somebody to, to hit on at a party, I'd probably go for the, <laughs> with the straight hair. Are we talking about boner fodder? Because that's a whole different subject. Talking about just what's appealing, what's interesting, what, what, right. what rouses me, what I find aesthetically, yeah, sure. you know, whatever. That's, you know, I mean, it, this is this is so 40 years old, this conversation. And this know? Oscar race is 40 years old. It's 60 <laughs> years old, dude. Give me a break. Nothing has changed. And the reason nothing has changed is because it's too easy for people just to accept the status quo. But Viola Davis has taken up the status quo, and so was Chris Rock last night, you know. And, and they're saying, we're going to be a little more in your face, people. 
a little more in your face, you know? And I think that's awesome. I'm fine with that. Yeah. But it's not up to me. Has poor, poor, downtrodden Chris Rock ever straightened his hair or done anything to alter his appearance other than the act, absolutely natural essence of Chris Rock, do you think, possibly? Well, I think he's growing out his fro, and he, yeah. he appeared with his fro loud and proud on. And I'm starting to see a lot of fros at my daughter's school, too, like big, wild fros, you know. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And you haven't seen that since the 70s, and I think it's very, very cool. But anyway... Okay. Um, Back to anyway, so I've just never heard of an of an Oscar contender, a person, an actress. I've never, I never realized that she had her hair naturally, like real short, like Malcolm X. I just didn't know she had. It was kind of a reddish brown, slightly. At least that, that's how it came through on my television. Really yeah, she nice. She decided colors. to wear her hair as it is, which I think is just the coolest uh-huh. thing. And I think she was, she did that in thinking that she was probably going to win, and that it would mean something to stand up there with her natural hair. Uh-huh. But she didn't win, of course. So. Right. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I learned something today. We're in the middle of a new 70s wave. so If I'll, only. I'll, yeah. If okay. only the movies would match the era, right? Yeah. God, the 70s were great, man. Phil has gone to sleep. I know. No, I'm, I'm still here. I'm just I'm trying to <laughs> find a place to butt in here. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Phil. You talk. Jeff and I. How many people are wearing natural froze in the, in, the, uh, 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 in the exhibition world, Phil, that you're – <laughs> at CinemaCon, no, there's, there's not a lot of froze. <laughs> well, how many people are saying, you know, it's, it's time to bust out with the froze? And, you no, know, no, it's all, we got it's a all corny white dudes man. from Kansas City. That's, okay. that's exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, the, the thing I, I kind of wanted to bring up um, about this, well, there, there's two parts in the Viola Davis, you know, Meryl Streep thing. One, um, the whole idea that a career award sometimes beats out a, a very deserving performance um, because this reminds me a lot of Al Pacino, Denzel Washington, Son of a Woman, Malcolm X, um, you know, where Al Pacino got the award because everybody felt he was overdue. Um, right. you know, so, I mean, I, I still enjoy Son of a Woman, whatever, but was it better performance than Denzel Washington, Malcolm X? No. No I mean, way. To me, that's a, this, the same situation here. It's Meryl Streep's overdue. Is it a better performance than Viola Davis? No, but she comes in steamrolls, and, and then that's it. And then the deserving performance is overshadowed. Um, right. So it's unfortunate when that happens, but that they like to give out those career awards every once in a while. So yeah, I think there'd be a tiny, tiny um, chance that some director will say, you know, Viola Davis has a lot of friends. You know, who's one of her biggest supporters is George Clooney. Uh-huh. And talk about someone who can make things happen. I think that, you know, it was one thing for Meryl Streep to say, would somebody please give Viola Davis a movie? But it's a whole other thing when it's George Clooney who can actually make things happen. He's one of the coolest people um, that I've seen on the awards circuit. You know, uh, on the red carpet yesterday, everybody was doing their thing. They were just kind of like self-absorbed and taking pictures. And here comes George Clooney, you know, and he actually ran over to the part of the bleachers where – the people were like dressed less formally and they were shut off to the side and they were facing the back and they weren't part of the action. He went over there and he like shook their hands and he signed autographs and stuff. And it just was the coolest thing to see him do that. And it wasn't self-serving. There were no cameras on him recording this, you know, which is a nice thing to do. And he's a very, he's a man with integrity. When I saw him at the Q and a, um, 
mm-hmm. at the museum, he all these people were standing in line, and David Carr was like, okay, we got to cut this thing short because it's going on too long, and so this will be the last question. And, and George Clooney was like, well, wait, we got to answer all those other people standing in line because that wouldn't be fair. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. just so nice. So I think that it, with him behind her and some help, I think that somebody might – I'll, I'll tell you this, Viola Davis has earned enough cred that if she even gets close to an Oscar lead performance again, she will win. Let me just re- refer to the Gold Derby rankings. And this is the difference between myself and someone like yourself, Sasha, or Pete. You and Pete Hammond and Tarek Khan of Pox News did a, got the best score of all the Gold Derby people. The three-way tie, you all got 80% correct. Did you vote for your... Heart candidate uh, uh, Viola Davis, or did you you like yeah. drop her, drop her, and and go for Meryl Streep in the? In no, the- I voted for Davis. I wasn't going to not vote for her. Um, okay. What happened with that? I have to say, I'm so sorry to have to say, but um, I did my Gold Derby. You know how we have to do? I mean, I have three different sets of predictions. I have the Gold Derby, I have the Gurus of Gold, and then I have my own site. Well. And then on my own site, I run three sets. I run the general consensus, what I think is most likely to win. And just a separate thing I do for myself for fun. Like in uh-huh. that, I predicted Dragon Tattoo to win sound editing, for instance. Like it's just a little change that I didn't think was ever going to happen, but something that would be fun for me to predict. Uh-huh. So on my site, the general consensus got a whopping 19 right, which is probably the highest score of anybody. And then my um, most likely got 18, and then I myself got 17. Well... The reason that that score is lower than the Gold Derby is because I never went back and changed my Gold Derby prediction. So the, it's, it just represents a time where I didn't change. Like at the last minute, I always change my mind and I make stupid mistakes. Mm. So I can't really take credit for that Gold Derby. I feel bad about it. I got to tell Tom to correct it because I don't think it counts since I changed my predictions, you know, toward the end there. So I have to I have to make okay. sure all my ducks are in a row. And I'm not going to take credit for the Gold Derby. I'm just going to take credit for my own, which is 17, which is still pretty damn high. I think we should give a moment, uh, a tip of the hat to Ben Zausmer, the Harvard freshman who sent me his mathematical um, for Oscar forecast. He was pretty close. I, I, I don't know what his actual score is, but uh, he was pretty, pretty on the money. Yeah. Did he predict Meryl Streep? He did. Oh, great. No kidding. He, but he said it was just, you know, uh, a very, very marginal. He, he was ahead just by a nose hair. So it wasn't like he was way ahead of or, or knew something. He was just doing his... Well, what was his final score? I don't know. Wow. I just know that I that people had read it and they were saying, you know, last night and this morning that he, he was pretty good. I don't know how good he was. Or, you know, I have to check out his final score and see what he did, um, yeah. see how what what his actual numbers were, because that would be interesting if he did well. Then he's, he's discovered a formula. <laughs> <laughs> Harvey Weinstein's going to scoop him up and put him on the payroll. Yeah, really. <laughs> God, Harvey Weinstein, he pretty much controls the Oscar race now. Well, someone was saying that he's like, you know, if he's if his equation, his matrix equation works, he's like Nate, the new Nate Silver. Yeah. yeah and, and But the thing is, is that it does, those kind of things can work, and then sometimes they can't. Like, yeah, just looking on paper, Meryl Streep had the edge because she won the BAFTA and the Globe. Right. But Viola Davis won the SAG, and you could feel the Davis momentum happening at the end. Right. And so, and Ann Thompson thinks that the vote was really, really close. So it's possible that Davis could have won, and then his whole. I mean, I've seen over the last decade many people come up with mathematical equations, and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. But usually, the same equation applied one year won't apply the next year. Uh huh. 
So. Every year, uh, I've, it's been it's pointed out by somebody that the uh, I should I need to check uh, Poland's ranking because Poland is always uh, never that prescient about these things. He's like me, you know. He goes with what he feels, and that's it. So, and I, which yeah. I respect, but I was just kind of wondering what his ranking was. His wasn't very good, but he did get Meryl Streep right. Okay. I think it was like sixteen, seventeen, something like that. But it wasn't anywhere near the nineteen that. Um, uh huh. That our general consensus. The general consensus was what everybody pretty much thought would win. Yeah. You know, out there. The one that most people were predicting. And somehow that got to be 19, which is insane. Because mm. usually it's like 12, 13, 14. <laughs> but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's how predictable this year was. If people didn't overthink it, you know. Yeah. Right. How did you do in the minor categories, Phil and Sasha? Did you guys pay attention to that? Did you get uh, – how did you – how did you determine that? You just basically uh, – oh, Sasha, you got the um, – you know, your thing that you told me, uh, uh, Tsunami and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, cher- the Lotus Blossom, the Cherry Blossom, that one, that didn't win. I know. What a bummer. It was so good. It deserved to. But I never saw the other one that it was up again that, that did win. I didn't see Saving Face. Um, all right. The, uh, I was bummed out because I – was all ready to go for Hugo in both sound categories, and that was the general consensus, and I thought. And then I started to overthink it, and then I ended up predicting. Because Chris Tapley and I sat there and talked for hours, and he was saying Warhorse was going to do both. And we looked at the stats and the history and everything, and all of the stats backed up Hugo. You don't win... (laughs) (laughs) You don't win any of the sound... You, you really, it's almost impossible to win the sound categories without a Cinema Audio Society nomination first. And the only one that wants to answer the phone. Because I don't know where it is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know where it is. My answering machine's full. <laughs> so, um, right. But anyway, so yeah, I was, I was, I got one sound right, but the other one, I, I, I changed to Dragon Tattoo at the last minute. But I think, for instance, on Tom's side, I still had the two Hugo sound predictions right, and that's why one of my scores were higher there. Uh-huh. But I actually, in the end, predicted Dragon Tattoo to take sound editing. I kind of felt like it was going to win something because it made $100 million, and they uh-huh. would want to reward that and, um, somewhere. But I didn't think it would be film editing, which is a pretty big award, and that's significant that the artist lost that. I mean, it's pretty hard to lose editing if you're about to win Best Picture, you know? Right, right. All right. So, so Phil, any other particular satisfactions or disappointments how about the here the the two best moments of the telecast i thought uh easily were number one the cirque du soleil guys uh and the focus group for wizard of oz which i thought was pretty funny or it wasn't hilarious but it certainly made the point that uh, that people are a idiots for the most part whenever they see anything that is uh not like something they've seen it before. You know, they have problems. They didn't like that. Like like this. Uh, it's you know, it's an easy score, but I thought it was well done. So. Uh, I don't know. Those things should all go. I mean, <laughs> I have a real problem with the fact that they, you're you saying know, you want to have only missed... awards and only Billy Crystal's Oscar. It's the, you actually think that's <laughs> no. Better? no. I mean, I like the montages. Some of those are good, and the the in memoriam thing is always excellent. But you know, it, it really pisses me off that they'll spend you know whatever it was, 10 minutes on a Cirque du, Soleil, a Cirque du Soleil thing, and then they cut winners off. Right. You know, where, where, where are the priorities here? You know, what's the purpose of the show? To, to watch a bunch of people flying over the audience or to let some people that are never going to 
get a chance to be up there again, possibly, and just cut their mics. I forget who it was, but somebody they just flat out cut the mic. Oh God! They, it was the uh, undefeated guys. They were they yeah. were going on. They got a music cue, and then they literally cut their mics off. Um, yeah, I mean the, the undefeated guys. When are they going to be up there again? I mean, who who's ever won you know two best documentary Oscars? Has that ever even happened? And especially for low key guys like that, and then they get cut off. Mm-hmm. I, they get, I just they wait, wait a minute. Stop. You just said two Oscars. They won twice. No, I'm saying like, when are they ever going to be up there again? When are they? He those means guys to win again. Really, yeah, yeah they, they made this really small film that, you know, one because the wine scene company got you know behind it. Another common theme. Um, but yeah, when are they going to be up there again? And they get cut off because we have to have ten minutes of Cirque du Soleil. It, it just really rubs <laughs> me the wrong way. Um, I wish somebody would do what what Billy Joel did during the Grammys one year, where they cut Frank Sinatra off. And then in the middle of his song, he just stopped dead and said he was playing River of Dreams and he stopped dead and said, oh, valuable, you know, advertising time, wasting away here, wasting away. And then he just picked up the song again. I wish somebody would like Clooney or, or somebody big and famous that wins would protest the fact that they they cut these people off because it's it's rude. I don't I don't like it. Oh, that's nice to hear. Um, I think they were just worried about it being like the lowest rated ever. And that they, you know, they figure people are going to turn. As soon as someone has a long, boring speech, they're going to turn. People complain about that. It's so weird. Like, I don't get it. Like, I love watching people. That's the only thing I really like is watching the acceptance speeches for me. Like, I hate all the banter and all that crap. I only like the acceptance speeches. But um, uh, I didn't see this a lot of the show because I was I was in the back room and um, and they turn the sound off on you when you're back. No, room. they don't. But you know you're you're doing so much stuff. Like there's people interviewing. They give you a little um, a little recorder. You can put an earpiece in and you get to, you can sit there and listen and um, and uh, um, you know. I, the show would come on, you'd kind of half watch it. And if, it, like, for instance, the Cirque du Soleil would come on, they'd start to do their thing, I would immediately start to engage in my computer and do stuff because uh-huh. it just tuned me. You know, I wasn't forced to sit there and watch it. But um, but I thought the funniest thing, and I, I can't really say for sure because I didn't watch the whole show, but the funniest thing for me was um, uh, Billy Crystal <laughs> doing that thing where they put the camera on the people in the audience. And, um, yes. And he showed Nick Nolte, and he went, uh. <laughs> That was so funny. I was laughing so hard. But maybe that's just me. I don't know. I thought I thought Billy Crystal was really funny, I guess, because he's sort of – I don't know. I just thought he was really good from what I could tell. Um, how did you guys think he did? I thought that they had, to, they had to punch when they hired him, and he said to them, well, I'm not going to do anything different. I, you know, I, I've got a tried-and-true brand that people have responded to, and I'm thought of as the go-to guy. It's reliable. So we're going to do exactly the same show that we did back in the year of Jerry Maguire. I think it was 97 when they did those same type of, you know, Billy in the in the scene, talking to the actors, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then the, the same song. It's, it's almost like a parody of himself. Um, you know, I'm, they, they made no attempt to refresh or you know, in some way come up with something else exactly right back to the default position, which is kind of what I guess they wanted. So Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, I was a little bummed that he didn't. I mean, maybe I missed it, but I don't think he took any digs at Eddie Murphy. And I was that was kind of disappointing. I mean, right. I know he's not – he's got that Borscht Belt humor that isn't, you know – that controversial or anything like that but to to avoid that was kind of mystifying i don't i don't know why they were 
you know, playing it that safe. Um, yeah. But otherwise, safe choice. Uh, you know, he, he kept the show moving, and I like his sense of humor. I mean, it was, yeah, it's old, it's, you know, dated, but it was it was reliable. It was, you know, it was good enough. It, it passed, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, that's weird. You're right. They didn't talk about Eddie Murphy or or any of that. Well, the the line that, he, of course, he came out with two days before, I think it was f- uh, an answer to a question about rehearsing his material. And uh, Crystal said that rehearsing is for gags. <laughs> oh, so that was God. pretty funny. You know what was weird, I have to say, is that why didn't – did Meryl Streep get a standing ovation? I didn't notice if the, pa- the camera panned out, but um, – because it's so weird that she didn't like after all that time you'd think that either when they first introduced her or when she won she would have gotten a standing ovation you'd think that by the second time she wins an oscar after all these years that the audience would have stood up but i think they were really all rooting for for viola by that point i think probably a lot of people were a little surprised that she won and they were certainly going to be respectful of her and give her a good hearty applause but i don't think people were ecstatic over it i think they felt conflicted Right. I think Viola Davis went to stand up, or maybe it was – I don't know if she was standing up to applaud or if she was standing up because she already thought on her head that she was going to win and she had like – her body was already going to react that way. Oh, God. But I remember Phil, they kept horrible. the camera on her and she started to like stand up or something. Um, so I, I, that gave me the impression that everybody you know, stood and, and applauded, but – I don't know. Maybe don't know. they did, but they yeah. didn't show it, right? I would I think, think that so because sh- they stood up for Octavia Spencer. I mean, yeah, but that feels yeah. good to applaud her. You know, it's like I don't think they stand up and they gave. I hear that they gave Christopher Plummer a standing ovation, but when Meryl Streep, when they first introduced her and they gave her that big long introduction, I would have thought that as if she was really as well loved as people said she was, um, they would have stood up. So I was surprised by that that they didn't, uh-huh. and it makes me wonder about her. Well, Not she nailed mean in her or anything, too, but when she said her, the first thing Meryl Streep said was about how you know everybody at home watching is uh, saying, "Oh, not her again," blah blah blah. And it's funny because my girlfriend was sitting next to me, and she goes, "Oh, that's funny because it's true." Because yeah. she was like, "Well, you know, why did why didn't Viola Davis win this?" Right. Um, you know, so it's yeah. I think everybody reacted that way, and maybe the audience did a big portion of the audience did too, where they said, "Well, you know." Viola Davis did not win because of the 62-year-old median age of the Academy, for the most part. Well, at any rate, um, I think Harvey Weinstein, you know, orchestrated that win, and there was no way he was going to lose, and no way she was going to lose. And I think by the time Meryl Streep finally said, I want an Oscar, she would get one, and she never did. She was always very quiet and gracious on the campaign trail. She never really campaigned all that hard, except this year. Um, and Kate did the same thing with Kate Winslet when it was time for her to finally win. She had to really act like she wanted to win. If the lady asks, you know, the lady's going to get the Oscar. So, and Meryl Streep finally asked. But the thing was, um, I don't think she counted on the surge of popularity for Viola Davis, who was in starring in the only Best Picture nominee of the the lead actresses, which, and a movie that made over a hundred million dollars, which any other year would have been enough to earn uh-huh. a win, which certainly did with Sandra Bullock, who did not deserve to win. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was a shame. And I think that that Meryl Streep should have said, I know it's hard to think in the moment, but she, what she should have said was, after she said that about that, she shouldn't have said, and that's tough, which is what she said. <laughs> she should have said something like, and I understand that these awards are, you know, 
yes, somebody has to pick a winner, but all of these women that I was nominated, something gracious like that to acknowledge the other nominees, which she didn't do. But um, funny, she said she also said this is the last time I'm going to be up here as a winner. And, she seemed uh, a little bitter, she, right? No, I didn't think that. I think no. she realizes that she's won two, and that's the end of it. You know, she's right. not going to get win again, no matter what she does. Oh, she, how much she, you may, bet. she may well uh, be <laughs> better at, at uh, August Osage County's role that she's going to be. She's going to kill in that, but uh, mm-hmm. she's not going to win because she's she won twice. That's it. Uh, Catherine Hepburn won four lead actress Oscars in her career. Uh, I just think that people have a sense that they don't want to be too repetitive about these things. I don't think so. She's still got to get old. I mean, right now she's still a fairly young woman. She's still she's she's not even in the Catherine Hepburn on Golden Pond phase of her career yet. Yeah, there's still a lot more Meryl Streep left. Trust me. Mm. Yeah, I'd be really surprised if she didn't win one more. Me too. She'll win. I think the on Golden Pond thing is pretty apt. She'll have her. You know, when she's 69, 70 years old, she'll she'll have her on Golden Pond and she'll take it again. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, yeah. The wheels turn very slowly in Hollywood and, and this is what you got. You know, for me, I'm 13 years at this and nothing's really changed. So we're, I feel like we're right back in 1995 this year with the winners and the host and the show and everything. It just feels so old and familiar, you know. I don't know why they don't want to evolve forward. Maybe it's just the, the natural state of being old and getting old that you want to hold what is comfortable and familiar and not, not accept change, you know. Uh-huh. But it was pretty icky for me sitting there watching them come down the red carpet. It was just, there was something really bizarre and icky about the whole thing. I can't really put my finger on it, but... Watching the the entire talent uh, uh, community come down? Why yeah, that? well, there was kind of a... When you're at home and you're watching them, you only see them at the mic. And so you see the smiley, happy person. Uh-huh. But... When you're watching them up from the bleachers, you don't see – you see them – as soon as the mic is off of them, you see them with frantic, worried, desperate looks on their faces and walking in uncomfortable shoes and a whole bunch of handlers around them pulling them this way and that way and a whole bunch of photographers screaming at them. And they look nervous and they look uh, like they're not having a good time. And then on the left side, you see all the academy members ambling forward and there's here, here they come, you know, the, the card game at Sunset Boulevard. There are all these, you know, aging stars and, and um, uh-huh. white people, sea of white people, all white people. And, you know, it's it's weird. And the hardest part is watching the faded stars who kind of sort of still expect the crowd to recognize them, like Bo Derek and uh, Jane Seymour and people like that. <laughs> the sea of white people in the on the carpet, you're saying? Well, yeah, the carpet's divided into right. two lanes. The left right. lane is just Academy members coming to the Oscars. Uh-huh. And then the right lane are all the celebrities who are going to talk to the reporters and get on camera and have their pictures taken, all the big, big, beautiful stars, right? Right, right. And on both sides. And then on the left side is the sort of the semi-bored-looking academy walking through, all dressed uh-huh. up, uh-huh. you know, and, and coming to the show. And you just, you know, it's sort of like going to see a screening at the academy. Like once you spend time with them, you really vibe on who they are and what they're all about. You know, like if I had done this and gone to enough Academy screenings before the social network and the King's Speech faced off last year, uh-huh. it wouldn't have been a question as to what movie was going to win. There is no way those people uh-huh. would ever vote for a movie like the social network. Just right. no chance. Yeah. So, you know, you uh-huh. learn a lot from spending time there. I feel um, like I've just um, 
come out of a facial, just had a shower, just worked out and everything. Never going to have to talk about the, about, um, the artist ever again <laughs> from this Amen. day forward. Uh, I mean, it will come up, obviously. You want to come up, bring it up. But it will never have to talk. It's over. It doesn't have hmm. to be referred to. It is out of the vocabulary. It's going to be – the next time anybody's going to even think about it is when the Blu-ray comes out. And that'll be, you know, a, a blip. Yes, exactly. A theme music they played. Yeah. Oh God, that's funny. I, you know, I don't have the hate for the artist that you do. I don't. I just thought it was so funny. They were so cute. I don't have a hate for the artist. I've never had a hate for the artist. I've been sick of to death of the clamor and the hoopla and the awards given to it. I know it's a little ridiculous. <laughs> but it just goes to show you what can happen in a year where there is no competition. You know, yeah. it was a slam dunk. It's the easiest. It would be like if Michael Jordan was playing, you know, like a team of senior citizens. It's like there's just no contest. Uh-huh. It's the easiest thing in the world for them because, you know, every movie had some kind of glaring flaw. You know, Hugo would have won if it had made its money back, for instance. Uh-huh. But there's no way they're going to award a film that made that cost 150 million and only made 60 something million. Uh, Dragon Tattoo would have given some heat to, to the artist if it had been even been nominated because it was made so much money, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and and The Help, which was a 165 million dollar movie, had no director and no screenplay nomination and had a uh-huh. lot of controversy attached to it. The Descendants was pretty much dead in the water because it had all of its buzz like up in the air, sort of happened early, and then Moneyball was mishandled. I thought. From day one. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. What can I do? I can unplug Listen to it. it six times or eight times before it oh, finally oh, stops oh, ringing. There, see? Oh, I'm going to unplug it. Ready? There, I unplugged it. Okay. Right. Sorry. <laughs> but, um... Anyway, we can go back to the to the year of 2012. We are now in the present and looking forward to the future. We are. Sasha, Sasha can go back to what, not watching any movies for the next eight months until oh until Telly Ride comes around. <laughs> and we get to talk about box office with Phil. That'll be fun because there's actually some uh, yeah. movies coming out, right, Phil? Is there anything coming out soon that's yeah. looking good? Uh, project this coming weekend's Project X and Melora X. Which Project X I've heard is actually not bad. Um, I'm hearing some decent things about it, so I don't know. We'll see. And what about John Carter? Oh, <laughs> what do we think about that? The movie that well, actually, there are, but are there not reactions to John Carter from people who have actually? I'm talking about the junket whores that saw it. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they do like it. It's getting re- relatively decent notices. It's nobody's saying it's a piece of shit. The junket whores liked it, really. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I mean that there's probably a – there are some people that actually have tweeted about it and there's been a little bit of reaction come out. I, I presume it's from that Arizona junket. And from what I gather, Phil, correct me if I'm wrong, aren't people saying it's not too bad? Or I don't know. You know? Yeah, I mean that's, that's what I'm hearing too. The, you know, all the ge- the reactions I've read are, are generally positive. But just from, from my end, what I'm seeing – you know, I've already ha- I've already done probably two interviews about the movie, and it hasn't even opened yet. People are already ready to to label it as this monstrous financial disaster yeah. because it costs two hundred fifty two hundred fifty million dollars to make, and uh-huh. our prediction right now is a twenty one million dollar opening weekend. 
It's oh, just going to wipe out. Drop off <laughs> Are you kidding there. me, Phil? It, no, it's it's just going to be really bad. And and not only is it going to have a mediocre opening weekend, but two weeks after it opens, Hunger Games comes out. Oh and God! Hunger Games and that, that's really the end. Thing. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing some people say that Hunger Games could hit like eighty million. I mean, we we bumped our prediction for that to seventy five million. It's going to feel like summer in March when that thing opens. It's going to be huge. Wow. Um, so yeah, John Carter is just, which I I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't know why something like this would ever get made. I mean, it was, and, you know, and I mean, it's it's a two hundred fifty million dollar movie with, it's not d- directed by Michael Bay or Steven Spielberg, and it doesn't have a major star. I don't yeah. see the draw. Um, and the nervous Nellies at, in Disney marketing, uh, perhaps uh, the the woman who uh, well there goes her name it just went out of my head but she's the one that recently left they decided to cut off the the words of Mars out of the title uh, could it have done any worse if they had kept John Carter of Mars as opposed to just plain old John Carter um, hello I don't think so I think that would help I mean because you know I don't at least you know that it's right away you know it's sci-fi john carter yeah. tells you absolutely nothing about the movie right. um and i think that's the problem they they wanted something that was going to be four quadrant and, and hit everybody and really appeal to everybody and it's it's not even hitting the fanboys really um the, the facebook and twitter activity shows that it's not even reaching out to those people and if, if it can't even hit the fanboys then you're you're in trouble um, uh-huh. oh god why doesn't it hit the fanboys is it just not hip enough or what yeah, I, I'd compare it almost to something like Scott Pilgrim, which Disney probably really doesn't want to hear. But Scott Pilgrim was, you know, it was based on another, you know, a, a graphic novel or whatever you want to call it, whatever the distinction is, um, that had a, a small but loyal following. And they thought that the, that would translate to a, a bigger following. But that just wasn't the case. And the same thing here. John Cogger, it's it's based on another source that has a, a following. But it's that following, it, it's not expanding outside of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, it's a good place to start if you have something like that, uh, some recognizability, but you have to, you have to build on that. And this movie is just failing miserably, you know, at doing that. Wow. Um, what yeah, is four, gonna four quadrant going to get ripped uh, that opening weekend? Oh, I can just, I can see the headlines now. All the corny box office headlines are going to be <laughs> out in droves. It's, it's going to be brutal. It's, oh yeah. my God. So yeah. why did it cost so much money? Who knows? I mean, lots of it doesn't. The special effects don't even look that great from what I've seen in the, the previews. They look pretty. They look so. Like. They look so CGI. They have no reality. Nothing that really grabs you. It's, it looks completely video game to me. Um, yeah, mm. it, it had to be. I don't know development. You know, I think it's this is something that's been kicking around for a while. So maybe they just spent a lot of money, you know, trying to even get it into production. I don't know. I don't. I, I have no idea how they. The shot, uh, it's almost a two-year post-production history. Almost. Two-year post-production history, wow. Yeah, so that's just... God, that's terrible. I mean, I I just can't even imagine. I hope it's good. I mean... It's also because the Disney people, um, it's a a Dick Cook uh, production. It's not who's left... So it's like the it's 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 a cub from the previous pride. Uh, the you know the new management uh, will re- do what they can to give it a fitful opening. Uh, they, they will do what they can to be pros about it, but they're not going to put that extra measure of 
of, of heart and passion into selling it because it's not really theirs and they're, and they're willing to let it die. Mm. Well, they really need to reevaluate that because that's the same thing they did with Mars Needs Moms, Disney. That was also left over from Dick Cook. And that, yeah. just, that was another one that people were pointing to. And that was, I think, you know, cost $150 million to make. And I don't even think it hit, you know, like $15 million domestically. That was a huge disaster. So this right. attitude of, oh, I didn't, I didn't make this. Let's just dump it. That's, that's pretty toxic. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty toxic. I mean, how, I, I just don't understand how you justify that. Like, how do you how do you work at a company and say, well, fuck the other guy. I'm just going to cost this $100 million because I don't feel like getting behind this. And, you know, that's... Well, they'll, they'll get behind it, but they just won't really get behind it. Right. Well, yeah, it's half-assed. You know, it's like, okay, well, let's do what we kind of need to do and then stop that extra, you know, quarter of a mile that really gets you to, to where you need to be financially. Right. Um, and that's... That's, but that's the you know the, the the mentality of these executives at studios. I mean, it is beyond cutthroat. I mean, you can even have someone like Alan Horn who has you know a bunch of great years at Warner Brothers and then is basically you know shown the door. You know, it's there's <clears throat> no loyalty there. No, it's you know everybody out for themselves mentality. Yep. It's ruthless. You know, I never would want to be a part of that. When a new lion takes over, he kills the cubs. That's just it's in the it's in the genes. It's in our, our nature. It's a kind of a jungle thing, you know. It's about dominance and spreading your seed around and all that stuff. Right, you can't, exactly. you can't you can't get it out of the, 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 the it's our it's in our nature. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, so what about the next couple of weeks, Phil? Is there anything? Be, I mean, we, John Carter is the twenty. Wait, when is John Carter's opening? I, I've forgotten. Ninth. Yeah, that's the ninth. The ninth. So it's okay. two weeks from now. Okay. Yeah. Um, is there yeah, anything the, between John Carter and um, and Hunger Games that we should be attuned to, box office wise, ex- excitement wise, that you're that you can see? Um, I mean, not really. I, I'm I'm curious. Well, Twenty One Jump Street, I think, is going to pop. From what I've heard, that's actually really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, Jonah Hill obviously has a lot of momentum now coming off of Moneyball. Um, uh-huh. The other thing I'm curious about, I don't know if either one of you have seen this yet. Jeff, I think you have, but Jeff, who lives at home, that comes out the 16th. <laughs> is that is that any good? Is that something that can... I haven't even uh, heard of it. It's a Duplass Brothers thing, and it's a Jason Siegel uh, film, which is um, I have a problem with it in general, which is why I haven't seen it. It, it was at, um, I believe... I was about to say Toronto, but I can't remember if it was or not. That's why he was uh, on the red carpet last night. Also because he's um, behind the Muppets movie, no? Oh, yeah, I guess so. But double publicity. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know. Well, Jeff, is this the whole, you know, Jason Siegel's chubby? And I don't want to. He, he, he really bothers me. I just don't even <laughs> think to look at him. I love, I love those rants, by the way. It's classic. <laughs> Jeff, you're so weird. <laughs> what do you mean, Jason Siegel bothers you? Just the, Did you see? I'm forgetting the Sarah Marshall. The physical side of him bothers me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you like him naked and forgetting Sarah Marshall? That was, that was what started the. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like his rear end, I bet. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't like him with any with clothes off in any shape or form. I don't, I, I don't want to deal with him. Oh, you know who's great in that is um, Mila Kunis. Is great in forgetting Sarah Marshall. Just as an aside, she's so cute. That girl. 
Yeah, that's a that's a fun little movie. I like it. Whenever it's on cable, I don't. I know. I watch it too. It is funny. Yeah. It's very yeah. vulgar and. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's so fun it? to have vulgarity and you know. Well, I mean, occasionally. Unappealing body parts. I love it, you know. If they go for it. If they really go for it, which they did here. Like, they didn't hold back at all. That's what I appreciated about it. But, um, and it was a lot raunchier than even shame. So, I thought. It didn't really show a penis, but it was, you know, it was raunchy. Pretty darn raunchy. Yeah, maybe you could make a, you know, a penis envy argument for why shame got an nc-17 yeah you know forgetting sarah marshall got an r they were they were comfortable watching jason siegel because he's about a fourth (laughs) of the the man that uh you know michael fassbender is that's funny (laughs) oh god that's true (laughs) that's possible i mean it maybe even wasn't penis envy but there was a lot of weird envy going on there was a lot of weird like he gets all that tail and he's gonna complain about it poor guy gets to fuck all these women you know (laughs) (laughs) there was a little bit of that i think going on but uh, Uh which is why i think women generally responded more to shame than men did in general okay straight men yeah 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 um go ahead what about sasha baron cohen he was like depositing some weird white powder on the red carpet did anybody talk about that yes uh, it's on i put a youtube up on it um i was talking to a paramount paramount publicist last night who's uh, with sasha baron cohen and ryan seacrest was definitely uh pretty angry uh, about that he of course (laughs) you don't want to make ryan seacrest he he suppressed his feelings but uh, basically he was pretty pissed off Oh, he was bad. <laughs> Ryan, but he got Ryan Seacrest bad. <laughs> so he got dusted pretty heavily if you look at the video. So. Oh, he got dusted. Oh, I thought he was just mad because they put it on the carpet. No, oh, no. He, he, he had, a, had an urn and he turned it over and it went over his pants. <laughs> 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 Why? Why did he do that? I mean, what, was well, the... what do you want him to do? Just, I mean, he's supposed to, he has to do something. The idea was to create some kind of... But what were the ashes supposed to be? What did I miss? Uh, the ashes of Kim Jong-il. Oh, okay. okay. Um, another dictator, you know. I missed that part. All right, yeah. gotcha. I see. So he dumped him on Ryan Seacrest. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Ryan Seacrest is one of the richest men in the world. I think he can deal with a little powder in his pants. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he was angry because he wanted to have... He wanted to be told about it, is what I heard. Oh, and poor baby. He would, and he would have brought a, another pair of tuxedo pants with oh. him. Oh, like he doesn't have seven assistants that were, you know, instantly saying, oh, we need to go to – what stores are open right now? Where can we get Ryan's pants? What size? Totally. Hello. There The assistants were sent to stores last night with by a very angry employer. <laughs> I find yeah. something. This is ridiculous. Listen, it's comedy gold. The more angry he gets, the funnier it is. But um, no, there were people on the carpet within seconds vacuuming that shit up. And yeah. um, but Brian, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was very tiny. I have to say, just like really small looking. I didn't expect him to be that small. Um, but so he was depositing ashes. Okay, well the whole thing yeah. was a publicity stunt anyway. I don't know if the security guys who did who moved him off the carpet were for real or whether that was part of it. But they looked like they were sincere, and and he was being kind of dragged off at the end. Sasha no, we was. all all the people that I was sitting with thought that it was real. They didn't think it was a show because there were okay. no cameras on him when he was being dragged off. Okay. So he was really, really being taken out. I think that the one thing that I was really impressed by with the Academy, I don't 
really respect any of their choices for the most part, but for every once in a while. But the people who run that show, that is like one of the best run operations I've ever seen. Like from everything from being like really nice to the press. I mean, laying Uh out the food and the, I mean, it was just very, very kind of pleasant and luxurious. It was sort of like being in Cannes, but on the red carpet and those people with the mics and the, you know, the security guys and everything is a tight fucking ship. You know, and I'm sure that part of the thing that bothered them was the fact that it was an unpredictable thing he was doing, you know, and, and you didn't really know how far it was going to go and what it really was, you know. <laughs> what are you laughing? That's funny. Because, <laughs> you know, what, what could that powder have been? Who knows what it would have done? You know? <laughs> and the end of the, at the end of the day, I don't think anybody is going to show up for Dictator. I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole thing is desperate. This is going <laughs> to. Nobody's gonna see this. I mean, I think he had a spell after Borat, and Bruno I, left a sour taste. Yeah, but Bruno was the beginning. Of, that was what yeah. told everybody that it was pretty much over, and this stint can't go on forever. And this is the last gasp of it. So this is the end. He can't do this again. He's got to. You know what? He, as I said in the in a column thing, he should really make that Freddie Mercury movie. I would love to see him do that. He would be. You know, probably fantastic. He might be. It might be one of the best performances uh, of, of a famous musician ever. I just have a sense that he would be really good. Mm. But I don't know what happened to it. It's, it's um, Peter, um, uh, Morgan is uh, writing it, um, so I, I hope it happens. You know, nobody's heard yeah. a word about it. Nobody cares. But it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know what's funny is a, as, a, as a random observation in Hollywood is that like you can be. You can be somebody totally on top of the world and still lose your clout. Like, even if you're Tom Cruise and you have, like, endless amounts of fuck you money and Uh you are the guy that can get any part you want, you know, some weird thing can happen and it can totally derail your power in Hollywood. It's just so funny how it's so much about that with guys, with white guys in Hollywood. It's about power. And the more money they make... Um, obviously, the more power they have. And I'm sort of sensing that from Sasha Baron Cohen. Like, to him, he wants uh-huh. to get to a point where he is untouchable. You know? He can make so much money and he has so much power that nobody can tell him what to do. You know? Yeah. He's not quite there yet, but... Yeah. Hey, by the way, can I just... Uh, um, before we um, end this, because we're, we're out of gas here, but we, uh, <laughs> I'm kind of very much uh, interested in seeing, and I would love to pursue, and I'm going to try again, uh, the story about the uh, the dimness or the darkness, Phil, uh, that uh, Audrey Ebert and David Poland were talking about after seeing Titanic 3D, which is going to be a big, uh, a big, a big ticket thing when it happens. Um, and they said that it just seemed like the, the the process, as it always does, because the brightness diminishes the clarity, and it just doesn't. Uh, it didn't seem to be uh, the the exceptional 3D experience that they expected from Cameron. It's the same darker thing. And I was told by Chris Tapley, who um, suspects that um, that the showing in Burbank, anyway, and and that Ebert's thing was perhaps a result of the people projecting it not delivering enough light, which is what I heard from people who were complaining about the last Transformers 3D. Again, not too, too much light. I thought that if anybody is going to overcome this problem with 3D, which is that it darkens things and mm. that they should jack the light up all the more to compensate, it would be Jim Cameron. This guy really knows um, how to deliver 3D in its uh, optimum form. But... Um, Apparently that's a problem. Did you hear anything about this, Phil? Or anybody complain? Yeah, I mean, no, it's it's something that 
you know, we face on the ex- exhibition side all the time. I mean, I hear about it constantly. Um, and, you know, CinemaCon is in, you know, at the end of April, and it's going to be a huge issue there because, yeah, I mean, it, it almost doesn't matter, you know, how much effort 3D filmmakers put into something. Um, if the exhibitors aren't respecting the proper light levels, then it, it's just going to screw it up, and it's going to be dark, and, and the presentation's not going to be the way it's supposed to be. Um, so yeah, they're they're making and, and Cameron was at Cinema Cinema last year, and I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he's if he's there again or or someone else is there again to really beat this in to everyone's heads um, that they have to increase the light levels or people are going to walk away pissed off. If you yeah. if you have people you know if you have casual moviegoers who go four or five times a year and they're walking out of Clash of the Titans and saying it was too dark and murky, you have a real problem because those people aren't trained to see it like like we are you know they they don't sit in the movie theater and watch you know more than 100 movies a year um so it's absolutely 100 percent a problem because it's going to affect you know whether people want to pay the extra money for the the 3d and they're going to end up shooting themselves in the foot um so yes something needs to change there there needs to be a a broader awakening and there has to be less um you know trying to save a dime with every screening because the light levels are cheaper you know Mm. It's it's really scary, actually. It's it's not a good thing, and it's not, you know, it's it's bad publicity in the in the worst sense. So, wow. Well, anyway, so I asked to see if I could please, when I was not invited to the preview reel of what was it fifteen minutes or something that they showed uh, back in December, or was it uh, late November? Mm-hmm. And then they had the Valentine's Day screening, which they again did not invite me to, and I. Hit the roof, and I said, "Come on, can I please be allowed to see this for some lead time so I can get into the whole 3D aspect? And you know, is this really going to be an exception to the rule, and so on?" And then um, they said, "No, all right, we, we, that won't happen. That was a mistake. Uh, we'll we'll include you." Then I was told, "Yes, okay, we've got a screening for you one day before it opens in April, or two days. It's on the second or the third. It's opening on the fourth, I believe, April fourth." So I said, no, let's just back up for a second. You're telling me, by the way, I'm hearing all this noise, all this rumble in the background. Do you know, is something going on, Sasha? All of a sudden, I'm hearing the sound of trains and, and tornadoes in the background. I don't hear that. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Okay. All right. Anyway, so I was told that, yeah, we've got a screening for you. And I said, here it is, like, you know, before the Oscars, we've got a few more days left in February. We've got a 31-day month coming up. Um, March, uh, and you're telling me that for the entire month of March, you're not going to show it to anybody anywhere and that I can't see it. And they, and their response was like, uh, no. Well, it's funny. Cause I guess they, they picked the people they thought were going to softball it, but it sort of backfired. I think they thought, you know, of, of the people they knew Ebert and Poland would be easy bets, but no, they ended up talking bad about it. But it didn't sound like they talked bad about the movie. Well, Ebert kind of did. He sort of made it sound like it was sort of redundant and pointless. They, but they didn't cherry pick uh, those two guys. They oh, sent they out an invitation. Uh, I have I, I ran a, a JPEG of the in, of the invitation. It was a whole thing. Come to the Burbank uh, Plex. We've got music, uh, some kind of musical entertainment, plus hors d'oeuvres and drinks before. And then yeah. it's going to start at 7. You know, it was a whole thing. I know, but I was invited to the first thing, but not the second thing. So I think uh-huh. they did cherry pick. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah, but I'd be surprised if they cherry picked Ebert because he's been pretty vocally against 3D. I mean, what's his quote that it's a waste of a dimension? Yeah, but isn't he so. buddies with Cameron though? 
Mm. What? Called Titanic a masterpiece? Well, but you can argue that the film does deliver in my, in masterful terms during the last 25 minutes. I, I think it does. I do too. Uh, it, That's why I call it the best film and the worst film ever made all in one. You it's can't both. dismiss a movie that is connected. I, did I say I dismissed it? You can't dismiss the half part, the half great part. Yeah. It is half great and it's half yeah. absolutely awful. But um, <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. I'm, in, I'm in, interested to see it. I will definitely see it when it comes out on um, in April. Yeah. So anyway, here's my thought. They're not going to show it at all during March. My thought is it's just a guess. It has no basis of any kind of reporting that they have gone back to the lab. They've gone out to reconfigure. They're doing something in a technical way to make sure that the light levels are correct and that it is shown in the right way and, you know, right. something like that. I That's just so a guess. Too. I'll uh, bet you you're right about that, yeah. You know, why, why else would they not show it at all for the entire month of March? That makes no sense. Well, he's incredibly exacting, obviously. Everybody knows that about Cameron. So I'm sure once he heard that, he, he was like, oh, fuck. You know, let's mm-hmm. fix this. So. Yeah. And I called. And I, caught, I left a message for him. And I said, you know, is, are, you, is, are you aware of this reaction? You know, obviously you don't want that. What, do you, you know, what, is the, what went wrong? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Not, a, not a word. So I'm going to try yeah. again and see if I can. You called Jim Cameron? Yep, I left a message. <laughs> oh, my God. Is it like, hi, this is Jim. Please leave a message. <laughs> no, I just left a message saying I'd like to ask him about the, 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 the light levels and the 3D. That's it. You know. Oh, my God. You called Jim Cameron. Well, that takes balls, dude. Balls. Because if I cause if the wrong people call him, he'll, what, have me beaten up by... No, I just think it's amazing. Weird. I would never freaking call Jim Cameron. <laughs> but, um, but, you know... Uh, Titanic is insane, technically. Like, I watched it the other day again for, like, the millionth time. And just the tiny details. And I, I was the saying on Twitter that I don't think anybody's ever going to attempt a movie like Titanic ever again. Because, first uh-huh. of all, it costs so much then. You imagine how it would cost. Now, made the way he made it, which is not so much some computer-generated stuff. But a lot of it, just really fine details, you know, fine details. You can look under that film with a microscope and you will never find a mistake. I mean, other than in the script, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, all right. All right, okay. guys. It's been, so, it's um, been fun. So onward and forward. Remember, we, we keep doing this. We, we keep in the world. We don't forget <laughs> about the movie world because we're not in Oscar season. Right, right. This is a vital world. And in fact, some people feel that this season before summer is the most interesting because at least they have the freedom to try this, try that. Mm-hmm. Maybe something unusual will break out. It's not just about Telluride to Oscars. Well, no, because this year, um, three best pictures came out of the Cannes Film Festival. So, you know, there you go. it's a pretty big deal, that. Yeah. And, uh, and Sasha, our next big event uh, is going to be Chris Tapley's wedding. Yeah. <laughs> next month. <laughs> no, uh, oh, yeah, right. Excuse me. Um, in March. And have you... Not are you going to say at my... Complex. You I stay, probably will. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Emma with me. I'm probably going to do that. I, I said Chris and RSVP, and he said, "I said I lost the thing," and he said, "You and Jeff are the only two that lost the invite." Yeah. He's uh, like, well, two, "I had a good excuse." My my two clean, peas in a pod. And, and <laughs> the once the cleaning people came in, every a lot of things disappeared. So anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, well, that's going to be fun. 
You better uh, make I a know, reservation. I, know, I, know. Uh, I, I wouldn't wait until the last second. I know, won't. Huh? I won't. I'll, I'll do it soon. Yeah. And uh, and I, like I said, they uh, you could call them and say that we're uh, there as a we're, we're we're kind of there as journalists together covering an event or something, which we mm-hmm. are kind of. And uh, and you can get that rate. Uh, it's just you know you can save yourself forty bucks if you just yeah. attach yourself to me because they did give me that rate. Okay, so. I'll do that. I'll see if I can push them for that. Okay. All right, guys. All right, all right. Cool. Nice talking to you guys. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye. You've been listening to episode 70 of Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com, and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Oscar Podcast. And the bumper music is Everybody Knows by Leonard Cohen and The Angels Want to Wear My Red Shoes by Elvis Costello. Thanks for listening. Well, I used to be disgusted Now I try to be amused Since the wings have got rusted You know the angels want to wear my red shoes But when they tell me about the side of the bargain when I knew that I could not refuse And I won't get an older now The angels want to wear my red shoes I was watching while you're dancing away I love got fractured in the echoing sway Come everybody wants to be your friend You know that it still hurts me just to Oh, I know that she's disgusted She's feeling so abused She gets tired of lust But it's so hard to refuse How can you say that I'm too old And the angels have stolen my red shoes Said I'm so happy I could die she said, drop dead and left with another guy. That's what you get if you go chasing after vengeance. And since you got me a bunch of this has been my sentence. So I used to be disgusted. Now I try to be amused. But since the wings have got rusted. You know the angels want to wear my red shoes But when they tell me about the side of the bargain That's when I knew that I could not refuse And I won't get an order now The angels want to wear my red shoes No, I won't get an order now The angels want to wear my red shoes The angels want to wear my red shoes. Red shoes. The angels want to wear my red shoes. Red shoes. The angels want to wear my red shoes. Red shoes. The angels want to wear my red shoes. Red shoes. The angels want to wear my red shoes.